Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards hopeful futures in the real world. Hi, I'm Lisa Meese, and I am your host for the Starbase Indie Podcast, and I am here with Alan Anderson, who has done some of the Klingon translations for various Star Trek shows now in production, along with other cool things. So, Alan, how do you usually introduce yourself and tell people who you are? Well, if I'm doing it in a Klingon-related context, I say, hi, I'm Alan Anderson. Uh, among people who speak Klingon, I'm known as Runchutwe. I'm not going to try to repeat that because I'll get it wrong. <laughs> Tell me a little about what started you down this path of Klingon language. Many years ago, uh, 1994, I received a copy of the Klingon Dictionary as a gift. I had sort of a reputation among my wife's family as being a Trekkie, and we had a, uh, a gift exchange that year. And the person who got my name to send a gift to, I decided to give me the Klingon Dictionary. And I looked at it, I read through it, realized, okay, this is kind of an interesting little constructed language. Too bad it's uh, useless. And I put the book aside, didn't really intend to do anything with it. Except that a month later, having recently gotten access to the internet at work, I discovered this thing called the list of lists. And on that list was a group of people that were learning Klingon as a language. So I subscribed to that mailing list, discovered that people are actually using Klingon and communicating with it. And at that point I realized, okay, this isn't totally useless. In fact, this is amazingly cool. I gotta do it. And I started reading everything that was sent in Klingon on the list and translating it, looking up every single word, every single prefix, every single suffix, writing them down in pencil on the printout that I made of the email. And eventually you know, got to the point where, oh, I can understand this. I don't even need to look up the grammar anymore. I know how the grammar works. I just need to look up all the words. And after about six months, I could actually read some of them without having to look up all of the words. So from there, you found the Klingon Language Institute. Right. Yeah. Soon after I joined the mailing list and while I was working on trying to learn the language and trying to figure out how to write using the language and be understood, there was the, the second Kep'ah, which is Klingon for great meeting. The Klingon Language Institute had had a, a meeting in person the year before I joined the mailing list. Okay, they're going to have their second one right after I joined it. I didn't feel comfortable finding time to do that. It was going to be in the Philadelphia area and I'm in Indiana. All right, I'll just uh, watch as they do it, as they go through this. And after that conference happened and people returned to the mailing list and started talking about how great it was, all right, I'll make plans to do it next year. And so, that was yeah, hosted by the Klingon Language Institute, which I quickly became a member of and ordered all of the back issues of their quarterly journal, Kholked, which in Klingon means uh, language science or linguistics. 
And mm-hmm. so tell us about the first KLI, oh, Kepa, did I say that right? Close enough, Kepa, yes. Kepa that you attended. I made my way out to Philadelphia for the third Kepa, Kepa Wedge Ditch. And there were a lot of people there. And I started introducing myself and getting introduced to people. And someone told me, okay, oh, here's, there's someone here you have to meet. And they led me over to a corner of the meeting room where someone was uh, snoozing on the floor after a very long flight. And she woke up and introduced herself as Kov. And after a couple of uh, confused seconds, I realized, oh, that's right. She's Canadian. Her O doesn't sound the same as I'm used to. Okay, Kov. And we eventually arrived at a mutually understandable uh, vowel there. So, okay, we had been doing a lot of communication on the mailing list and on an online environment, sort of like a chat room. So we were familiar with each other and eventually uh, started meeting other people around. Uh, one introduced himself as Dak which uh, his Klingon name means long ponytail. So I asked him in Klingon, Yading, meaning uh, spin. And he did. He turned around and I saw, yes, he has a long ponytail. And that was my first actual in-person communication using Klingon, getting the uh, the appropriate response. Your first okay. Klingon I'm, conversation. And I'm definitely hooked. This is going to be a part of my life for the foreseeable future. So aside from getting to have conversations in Klingon, what else do you enjoy about the Klingon Language Institute? The membership is amazingly diverse. There is sort of a bias, or at least in the early years, toward uh, people in the information technology field. There are a lot of programmers, uh, a lot of academics, but there were also uh, postal workers and airplane pilots and uh, farmers and people in the armed forces. It's just all of these people interested in a language that was invented mostly as a prop for a science fiction movie, but is starting to take on a life of its own. Basically, you find that the people who have enough excess brain power to devote to a constructed language that no nation in the world recognizes as anything special. They have, they're universally pretty intelligent. And I find that I get a lot of enjoyment out of spending my time with people who are in the same general end of the bell curve on the uh, the smartness scale as I am. And and the same like corner of smartness, right? This is the, there's yes. a lot of different kinds of yeah. smart. Th- this, is, this is a particularly geeky smartness. Yes, and a linguistic smartness and a, you know, um, uh, we'll talk a little bit later about a punny smartness and, a, you know, playing with ideas and playing with language. Right. Most of the people who come to uh, the study of Klingon do it for one of two reasons. One, because they like languages, or two, because they like Star Trek. You find that the people who like languages tend to stick with it. 
And the people who just come because it's Star Trek and they like the idea of Klingons find that, oh, this is learning a foreign language. That's not what I really wanted to do. And they don't stick around. So the people at the conference tend not to be the, the dress up role play type of Klingons. We do get those. I, I have a full costume and forehead myself because the, the fourth conference I went to, I was asked to take part in an excerpt from Shakespeare. And I realized, oh, I'm going to have to dress the part. So I went up, took care of that. I'll wear it a couple of times a year, Halloween, and occasionally at uh, a uh, convention like Starbase Indy. Didn't wear one this last year. Just never really had the time to spend to get into character. Although we did have a, a gaggle of Klingons at Starbase Indy, as we often do. Right. Um, That's become a, a favorite haunt of uh, some of the, uh, well, even the Chicago Klingon contingent. It, it has, and I am so utterly delighted by the Klingon language people and that I think I have that same kind of interest in words and ideas. I do not speak in Klingon, um, but I always love hanging out with Klingons. Uh, you are actually working as an official Klingon translator for Star Trek Discovery and, and Prodigy, is that right? I have uh, no connection with Prodigy. Okay. Yeah, that's Jen Ucellus. Jen, yes. Yeah, she's the she's the official Klingon translator when they need one. Yeah, I, but I've uh, done work for Strange New Worlds. I knew there was a second one. Um, so, how did you get started with that? The people who were going to be producing Star Trek Discovery, yeah, I had pretty much the same reaction when they discovered. Oh wait, this is going to have a very Klingon heavy plot and there are people out there who will care if we get the language right or not uh -huh. let's do it right we've got the budget for it let's find someone who really knows klingon the way the people who care know klingon and they asked around yeah got in touch with the director of the klingon language institute who uh, provided a small set of names at this point i had no idea any of this was going on uh, one of the names on that list was Robin Stewart, one of the premier Klingonists, and happens to live in Canada. And since Discovery was being produced in Canada, the uh, production rules, the tax rules, really, really want everybody involved in the show to be Canadian. So that was, yeah, that was their choice to go with her. And her day job yeah, is a daytime daylight job. So when she has uh, time off in the evenings and overnight, like in the winter, there's a lot of off time. And since Discovery was going to be filming during the fall and winter, she figured she had enough free time outside her job to do this. When production got delayed to the spring and summer, yeah, she no longer had all the free time she wanted. There were going to be times when she was out of touch for extended periods of time and wouldn't be able to respond quickly to uh, urgent needs. And she and the producers decided, yes, it would be good to bring on a backup, someone else to take care of the times when she can't. And she suggested my name. They contacted me. 
this is one of those questions where the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So I was brought on board, learned the process that they used for finding, okay, here are the lines, here's the context, and okay, produce for us a translation and record for us the audio. And I did that for you know, much of the last season or the last half of the first season of Star Trek Discovery. So cool. So you, in some cases, you have had to shift the language that they send you as the lines uh, because it doesn't really fit with the Klingon culture. Can you give some examples of things the writers have suggested that you push back on? I myself uh, was never in uh, a sufficiently comfortable place with the people producing it to be able to do that myself. But there was one line early on uh, when the original intent was something like, oh, you wish to join the fold. And Robin pointed out to the writers, you really want to have a Klingon comparing another Klingon to a domestic animal that's known for its weakness and going along with the instruction. Uh, try again, maybe it'll, it'll come out better. So, they, you know, they change it. You, you want to become something, you want to become part of something larger than yourself, I think is how the line got changed. There was another event much later on where they just tossed in what they thought was the right translation of a couple of words into the script and didn't mark those as needing translation. I happened to notice them and point out the only reasonable translation for what they came up with was pickle change. And I don't think that's what they meant. So we managed to, uh, Robin took that to the writers and pointed out the problem, uh, suggested that they don't try to go it alone because they're not going to get it as right as we can. As opposed to pickle change, what were they trying to say? Uh, they, were, they were going for the dark change. The, the word for pickle and the word for be dark are both hur, but the order in which they put the words could only be pickle. But they, they wanted to talk about the, uh, the species reassignment surgery. Mm -hmm. and they call it the dark change. That didn't work in context because there's no indication that Klingons use the word dark to mean the same thing we do as an idiom. So it got completely redone turned into basically uh, the great change, the major changes, something like that. And it wasn't until after that line was translated and actually filmed, and I think the episode was about to be released when we got a word for that kind of transformation. It would have been the perfect word. And we found out later the reason we got that word is because uh, someone else doing the Klingon subtitles for the entire series, needed that word, uh, asked Mark Okrand for it. So he used that word in the subtitles, but that's not the word that's in the script and spoken. Probably a detail most people didn't pick up on. Mm -hmm. There was one other couple of words that they invented something that made no sense. And again, I noticed, oh, they've, they've put some words in here and didn't ask for the translation. That actually went back and forth, and they turned it into a reference to uh, the graphic designer 
for the series. Yeah, Andy Tsang. So, okay. The name of the game that they play at the end is Tishang, which literally means obliterate them. That sounds like a game Klingons would play, obliterate them. That sounds like a good like nursery school game for Klingons, right? Yes. Um, a gambling game, sort of like uh, sort of like traps, except a lot bigger and a lot pointier. Always pointier. Yeah. Your experience translating Klingon has gone beyond these shows, though. What are some of the other favorite translation gigs you've had? There was an April Fool's thing, a visitor's video that was done from the point of view of a Klingon visitor. Now, I translated and did the voiceover for the video. Well, someone else uh, was filmed there on site wearing a, a Klingon uniform. And uh, it's still available. If you uh, look up Mount Vernon Klingon, you can find it on YouTube. It's still, I believe, on the Mount Vernon Visitors website. How fun. I also did the uh, Klingon translation for the Gummy Bear song. There's a Klingon translation for the Gummy Bear song? Yes. They wanted me to uh, provide the words and uh, give them some phonetic recording of it so the person doing the singing would be able to know what to say based on what was written. And they said, uh, unless you'd rather sing it. And I realized that there is no way anybody could sing it at speed and have it sound right. But I also realized that I could slow down the music they provided by about 30%. I could sing it at that speed. And then when sped back up to normal, it sounded just like the gummy bear uh, recordings that they have for every other language. And then they applied the electronic uh, effects to it and i think it came out rather nicely now where where do they use the gummy bear song in klingon it's just a youtube video oh. that's translated into every language okay that's fair um so one of the things as i've hung around the, the klingon people more uh, I found delightful as I've learned bits and pieces of it is that uh, the language is full of puns and Easter eggs. So what is your very favorite Klingon pun? I can't say I have a favorite pun. There are some that I appreciate more than others. Yeah, I, the ones that take a lot of esoteric knowledge to realize, oh, that's where he got this, the idea for this word. Or there are the ones that take... Uh, you have to think in two directions simultaneously. The the one that I can think of right away is the Klingon word for virus. For what? Javtim. For virus. Virus. Okay. Javtim. Microorganism. Virus. Javtim. The first syllable, Jav, is the Klingon word for six, which in Roman numerals is VI. So there's the VI in virus. Well, so. How does Tim and Russ go together? Oh, the actor who played Tuvok and a couple of other incidental roles on Star Trek, mm -hmm. Tim Russ. So you have Jav for six or VI, Tim for Russ, Jav Tim, Virus. 
Nice. And it's really fun. When we get a batch of new words, people will go through them. All right, it's like it's got to be a pun. What's the pun here? And you know, eventually someone will hit on it or, okay, this is probably where it really came from. Let's just forget that it means that it's just a coincidence, but it's fun to find them. And, and the rule is that only Mark can make new words. Is that right? Only Mark Okrand yeah, can canonize a word. Yeah, we work with what we call the Okrandian canon of Klingon language. He is the one who writes the rules. He is the one that yeah, provides the vocabulary. The fiction is that he has access to a Klingon informant who tells him what the words are and he just uh, passes them on. And the fiction is that because he built the language originally the first time it appeared in a movie, right? Uh, the second time it appeared in a movie, actually, uh. because the first time was just a handful of made up noises that didn't have any yeah, grammar, didn't have any structure for uh, Star Trek the motion picture. The first few minutes of it is. Yeah, the Klingons trying to attack the giant V'ger cloud and getting yeah, completely demolished in the process. So there are a few words, yeah, you know, Juntach for evasive and we cha for uh, tactical display. When Marco Krand got the assignment to make the lines for Star Trek three, he started with those as, all right, let's make it consistent with that. Those have to have certain meanings. Those are certain sounds. All right, the language has those sounds. What other sounds does it have? What's the grammar that makes those sounds mean this? And that was the the seed around which the Klingon language as we speak it uh, grew. And he had to match existing mouth movements as well, right? Because the, it had already been- uh, There were a couple of scenes in Star Trek Three that were filmed in English between a Klingon on one ship and the other Klingon ship. And they decided, oh, right, we need to do that in Klingon. So those mouth movements were yeah, matched with other sounds. And in a couple of cases, yeah, okay, you can see obviously where that uh, could mean this. Yeah, you will find it useful becomes and if you look at it in a mirror as you speak the two things, okay, your lips are making the same movements. They don't sound at all alike. That's one of the great things that uh, Mark Okrand was able to do is he can look at the lip movements and figure out what sounds could make those lip movements, but not give any clue as to what the original sounds filmed were. If you look at one of the scenes in Star Trek, the motion picture, the the Vulcan language spoken there. You don't even need subtitles for half of it. You can tell what they're saying in English, even though they've dubbed over into something else. So, uh, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed when I've seen things get translated into Klingon is there's that cultural piece of it. It isn't just taking dictionary words and stringing them along. It's how would this culture express that idea? Yeah, the grammar of Klingon makes things work really well if it's all actions. There's not a lot of focus on nouns in Klingon. It's a lot of focus on the the verbs, the actions, 
there aren't any adjectives in Klingon. Anything that would be an English adjective is expressed with a verb in Klingon. Yeah, the word red, for instance, uh, it's actually a verb meaning to be red or orange. It's the, the same, same category in Klingon. So for several years now, you have taught a class at Starbase Indy on cursing in Klingon. Uh, so how is cursing in Klingon different than cursing in Terran languages? Well, it's actually pretty similar. You have the category of just something you'd shout out in anger or frustration, general invectives. You have names you'd call people. In Klingon, we really don't have a lot of good translations for those names. You know, just call someone a yintag. That doesn't mean anything that we can translate. It's just a, a mild insult. But where it gets really interesting is what's called curse warfare where you get creative in saying certain things about certain people. They're not just strings of blue words. It's uh, ideas like uh, you belong in a black hole in the netherworld. And one of my favorites is from one of the uh, curse warfare contests that was held many years ago. It translates as if I use spit to clean your father's honor, I merely dirty the spit. Ooh, how do you say that in Klingon? Vav le kuv ve shait moch mech, klepche ve lokchur, klepche ve lammoch nech. So is that the worst thing that you know how to say in Klingon? The canonical worst insult you can give someone in Klingon is your mother has a smooth forehead. And that's, uh, that's what I like to call the, the tactical nuke of curse warfare. You know, if you're engaged in uh, sparring, uh, trading insults with someone, you bring that one out, everybody around is going to say, ooh, and basically, all right, you win. You know, you, you can't, that, that can't be topped. Unfortunately, that means the game's over, so everyone goes away unhappy. So what is so that's when everyone says, oh no, he didn't. How do you say, oh no, he didn't in Klingon? <laughs> I'm not sure there's a good guy uh, Klingon word for oh snap. Uh, it, it would take some uh, some thought to come across with the, the the right the right emphasis there. That's one of the things I think is so cool about the process of Klingon translation is it isn't, uh, it's always about that thought process. You know, when I asked Mark a couple of years ago to let me film him saying, come to Starbase Indy in Klingon, he agreed. And then this was at the, the Kepa and walked over and talked to about three people about, okay, so what would this sentence look like? I mean, you know, he invented the language. You'd think he could just figure it out, but it's a process, and I think that's really cool. Right. There's no, there are very rare occasions where there's a good direct translation between Klingon and another language. What shade of meaning do you want to get across here? Because there are probably four or five different ways to say, come to Starbase Indy. They all have different emphasis. Do you want to talk about go to Starbase Indy, as in attend it? 
Do you mean physically approach it? I think he landed on something to the effect of uh, it will be a dishonor if you don't attend. Let me grab, hold this up to the camera, maybe, wait. SBI yeah, if you do not come to Starbase Indy, then you shame yourselves, darn it. I knew it was something like that. And then I made him sign where he'd written it down and asked him if I could keep it because I think it's so cool. <laughs> so when did you first come to Starbase Indy? My first Starbase Indy, I believe was the, the second year it was held uh, in probably uh, 1989. Yep, that would have been the second year. I believe Michael Dorn was one of the guests. That he, makes uh, sense, just yeah. Finished filming, uh, just finished filming one of the first season episodes of uh, Next Generation and couldn't talk a lot about it except that uh, he said there are Klingons in it. Another one later, uh, George Takei was a guest. And I think yeah, Nichelle Nichols was at one that I attended. But I didn't make it a regular thing until uh, it might have been the year before the major Klingon presence where we had yeah, one of the meeting rooms was the Klingon embassy. And that was the, yeah, it was used as an excuse for the annual meeting of CAG that year. And yes, that I, would have been, so 2016, we had Mark Oakland as a guest, and then we brought him back in 2017 because they said, we'll make it our annual meeting if you will bring in these guests. And we said, uh, yeah. So we were Mark yeah, back. I, I believe I've been to everyone that exists since uh, 2016. And we had that room, the Klingon embassy, I think it was, and the spelling of Klingon has no K in it. And I remember, but I'd been given all of the language to put in that room and someone from the CAG came into ops on Thursday night and said, you know, I'm here with the Klingons and is there anything you need? You know, often with fan run conventions, the folks who show up the night before find ops and go chat with, right? This is pretty common. He's like, is there anything I can do to help? I'm like Klingons, huh? Can you tell me how to pronounce the name of this room? He's like, I don't know, but I'll look at it. And he looks at it and he's like, well, I know that word is Klingon. And I'm like, okay, but there's no K in it. He's like, yo, there's no K in that word. <laughs> like, yeah. I did not know that. That was one of the uh, the fun linguistic in-jokes that Mark Okrand did when creating the Klingon language. It was a trope in science fiction films early on that alien languages have lots of K sounds in them. Lots of K and Z. Well, okay, let's make one without them. Even though it's called Klingon, it doesn't have a K. And even though all of the names of the major Klingon characters have Ks in them, nope, that's not really a K. So for Klingons, Klingon with a TLH sound. And for uh, like core, it's actually a, a Q, a back farther in the throat sound than an English K because inventing a language wasn't challenging enough. We had to have, you know, other jokes and add to the challenge. Right. It had to sound alien. That was one of the 
Yeah, one of the design goals. But it also had to be pronounceable by human actors. Yeah, that one feels pretty key. Yes. So back to Starbase Indie, what do you like about Starbase Indie? It's community. It's just people that are almost family. Again, it's more about the people than about anything else. Yeah, we hear that a lot. I mean, we work pretty hard to have good programming, too. But if you're going to hang out with great people, it's nice to have something interesting to do at at the same time. Right. So Klingon isn't your only geeky hobby. You are also involved in the Indiana First Robotics team. So where did your interest in robotic competitions start? Well, the particular group that I'm involved in came into existence in like 1992 when Dean Kamen got together with a couple of other people and tried to figure out how do we get high school students interested in engineering, science, technology, math. I don't believe the term STEM had come into widespread use by that time. However, I had already thought I would like to be part of this group even before it existed. Uh, Sometime in the 1980s, I saw a PBS special, a Nova production, about an MIT professor, Woody Flowers, and his engineering design class, and how he turned that into a give everybody the same kit of random parts, give them a challenge to perform, and a round-robin playoff of every robot against every other robot, finally down to a final uh, challenge between the top robots. And that was really wonderful and i saw that regretted not having had access to that when i was in school and sometime later discovered that the kokomo high school had a robotics team and they'd uh, been part of this particular organization since 1992 and they have a world it was just called the national championship back then they have a championship that uh, Teams from all over the country come to in Orlando. It was literally in the Epcot parking lot for many years. I happened to be driving through Orlando on the way home the weekend that they had this competition uh, one year, and I knew that the Kokomo team was there. So we stopped in. The uh, elimination rounds had already been about uh, two-thirds over by the time I arrived, and the Technocats, the, the team that I'm with, had already finished their last match and were somewhere in the Magic Kingdom at that time, I think. (laughs) So I didn't get to meet anybody on the team. But when my son was in high school, he had known for many years that he was going to be part of this team so that I could be part of this team. So he joined the Technocats team and I showed up a lot as an interested parent and was asked after a couple of weeks to be more than just an interested parent to actually take part in mentoring some of these students because I'm a programmer and the person who was helping the students program the robot had to go out of town, actually out of the country for a few weeks on business uh, about the time that uh, he would be needed for the team. So I learned all about what it takes to program a an FRST, first robotics competition robot. And we had a really successful year So I stuck around with the team until my son graduated and stayed with it. And that was uh, 19 years ago. 
So I'm still mentoring the team. I'm doing a lot more with the uh, Ind complete Indiana organization these days. I'm actually a, a control systems advisor at all of the competitions in Indiana. I, wore, I wear a special orange hat so teams know who I am, where to find me, and if they have issues with the, uh, the programming or the wiring or the robot just doing something that it's not supposed to or not doing something that they think it's supposed to, I can help them troubleshoot it. So basically, you not only speak Klingon, but you also speak robot. I speak robot. I've always <laughs> had a, a, a really good rapport with anything electronic. If it's got buttons on it, I can figure it out. That's, that's one of my superpowers. That seems like a good superpower to have. Uh, so is there anything I should have asked you or any stories we didn't get to because I didn't ask the right questions? Oh, there are entirely too many stories. Like I went to the Chicago premiere of A Klingon Christmas Carol, and I, I'm there in the audience with my family. And in walk two other people that I know from the Klingon language from Seattle, Washington. And we hadn't planned that we'd both be there at the same time. And it turns out their tickets are right next to mine. So we've got three people who speak Klingon going to this play that's going to be presented in Klingon. That was kind of a fun event. And that's where you met uh, Jan Uselis, I believe. That's right. After the play was over, everyone was invited to come up on stage and meet the actors. And one of them was really excited to sing the Klingon anthem for us. And she was really proud that she had found the correct pronunciation and made sure to do it correctly rather than the approximate pronunciation that ended up on screen when they filmed that song. And oh, we were... Yeah, duly impressed, and we congratulated her on it sincerely, not just, uh, oh, congratulations on doing your best. No, congratulations on doing it really well. And that was her introduction to the Klingon language, was doing that play. And having been encouraged in her singing, she got a, a gig doing something for improvised Star Trek, and that led to the whole Klingon pop warrior concept. Yeah, yeah, and I did a whole interview with her that was on... Uh last week's episode. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase.